I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you're listening to The Truth of the Matter, a podcast by CSIS where we break down the top policy issues of the day and talk with the people that can help us best understand what's really going on. To get to the truth of the matter about food insecurity surrounding the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we have with us Caitlin Welsh, who's the head of our food security program here at CSIS. Caitlin, thank you for joining Truth of the Matter today. Andrew, thanks for having me. So, Caitlin, why are Ukraine and Russia important to global agriculture markets? Russia and Ukraine are both global powerhouses when it comes to global agriculture. Together, the countries combine for 29% of global exports of wheat. Fertilizer as well is incredibly important. Russia and Belarus account for significant proportions of global trade in multiple kinds of fertilizers. So how is the war affecting agriculture in Ukraine and, and also in Russia? Yeah, take both of those separately. So starting with Ukraine, Ukraine alone supplies 13% of global corn exports and 12% of global wheat exports. The war has affected agricultural production nationwide in Ukraine. 70% of Ukraine's land is dedicated to agriculture. In fact, the, the yellow in Ukraine's flag symbolizes Ukraine's wheat fields. For a number of reasons, agriculture has been threatened. So first of all, Again, 70% of land is classified as agricultural. A significant proportion of this takes place in land that's already occupied, um, land that's along the borders with Russia and Belarus, across the central and southeast. Also, due to labor uncertainties, farmers are concerned that seasonal workers that the farmers depend on will be leaving Ukraine to seek work in more stable countries. Um, transportation is disrupted out of the country. So in the Black Sea this week, we've seen an over 60% reduction in the amount of bulk carriers compared to this time last week. And in fact, a, a ship chartered by Cargill was hit by a projectile last week as well. Um, you have multinational companies pulling out of Ukraine. For U.S. companies, for ADM and Bungie, for example, they've pulled out, which means that multiple grain silos, multiple processing facilities, and hundreds of employees have left Ukraine. And finally, traders are wary. Some trading firms are halting their activity in Ukraine until the situation resolves, as they say. So that's looking at Ukraine. Turning to Russia, Russia's own production hasn't been affected in the same way as Ukraine's has, and yet exports from Russia are still being affected. Among the comprehensive sanctions that the United States imposed last week, Treasury OFAC did issue a general license authorizing transactions relating to agriculture, but still ag commodities are not free-flowing because this requires transactions with Russian banks, and many traders are unable or unwilling to do that despite the OFAC license. Final thing is um, is looking at energy prices. As prices of oil and gas increase, this puts further upward pressure on food prices because natural gas is a is an ingredient to fertilizer. And also as transportation prices increase, ultimate cost of food increases everywhere. So, Kaylin, you know, obviously the United States doesn't need grain from anybody. But what does this mean for what does all this mean for food you know, security globally? Globally. So we'll take that question globally first, and then I want to look at Ukraine. So globally, the effect is going to be felt most sharply in low and middle income countries around the world where food accounts for a higher proportion of household budgets. So after China, the world's largest wheat importing regions are North Africa, followed by the Middle East. In Egypt, the price of bread is a matter of political stability. 85% of wheat imports from Egypt come from Russia and Ukraine. Um, also looking at Iraq, Syria, and Iran, even before this conflict bro broke out, USDA projected that wheat imports would need to double 
because of the drought in that region. Um, and I think it's important to look outside this region as well, where other wheat importing countries, they include Brazil, Nigeria, and several countries across Southeast Asia. So looking at immediate impacts in those regions, looking at longer term impacts in most low and middle income countries due to shortages in fertilizer. Again, Russia and Belarus are powerhouses when it comes to fertilizer supply. So fertilizer shortages means that farmers in low and middle income countries will have harder time accessing that input. Output could be lower, so that could have longer term impacts as well. So that's looking globally. When I turn to Ukraine as well, I think it's really important to focus on global markets and also important to look at Ukraine, where there's an immediate impact on Ukrainians. For Ukrainians who are staying in the country, their access to food is limited. Shelves are empty at grocery stores. Where you have food that's still in warehouses, we have reports of produce sitting in warehouses because there's a shortage of drivers and loaders, because there's active fighting on roads, because there are gasoline shortages. And then you see reports of the nutritional quality of the food that Ukrainians are consuming is declining, where they're saying, you know, I'm eating, you know, bowls of pasta every day just because I can't access any other food. So you see food security, again, globally, but also in Ukraine declining as well. So, I mean, do you expect that to just increase in Ukraine as as this war rages on? I can't imagine it's going to be easy for Ukrainians to, you know, eat. I, I certainly expect that to be the case within Ukraine and outside Ukraine as Ukrainians leave the country. I was speaking first inside Ukraine, but we've all seen the headlines as of today. One million Ukrainians have left the country in about a week. It took three months for a million Syrians to leave Syria in 2013. And in a week, we've seen the same amount of refugees flow out of, out of Ukraine. So I, I do expect long-term impacts in the country for those who are staying and outside the country for those who are leaving. And I think it's important to note that the worst effects can be on children right now because lack of proper nutrition, especially in the early years, can have lifetime impacts on cognitive and physical development. So these things aren't short-lived. These things can have a lifetime impact. What can the United States do both for the refugee population that's leaving Ukraine, you know, which is mostly women and children, of course, because men have been asked to stay and fight, and for the men who are staying and the people who can't get out of Ukraine? What can the United States do? When it comes to support for those who are leaving, I think an immediate response when it comes to humanitarian assistance, but uh, I've seen calls for immediate movement of humanitarian assistance to the borders to countries where Ukrainians are, are flowing right now. Inside the country, I mean, same thing within Ukraine to support Ukrainian efforts to provide food security for those are, who are staying. It's, it's, it's particularly difficult in active war scenarios. Um, it can be particularly complicated in urban areas. World Food Program and others have previous recent experience providing humanitarian assistance in urban areas. So hopefully they can draw on that experience, you know, for example, providing cash-based assistance. I'm imagining it's going to take a variety of types of assistance, cash-based assistance, immediate food assistance, as well as other types of assistance, sanitation, shelter, etc. Do you expect the media is going to be able to cover this more inside Ukraine as the Ukrainian people become more food insecure? Is this going to be visible to the world in the United States? Or is this just going to be like a hidden suffering that they're dealing with, you know, as, as explosions go off and cities are leveled? Over the past week, I've seen a small uptick in reporting on food insecurity within the country in Ukraine itself. And I think that that's helped by social media, where Ukrainians are posting about the, the troubles that they're experiencing. I saw a mother reporting from a bunker saying that she can't access food to feed her five-month-old child. Things like that might not make the news 
if it weren't for social media. So I think that we have a slightly different landscape when it comes to reporting on that topic right now. Yeah, this really is a social media war and an open source war. CSIS is using commercially available satellite imagery to analyze what's going on and the rest of the world seeing that. And, you know, we've seen a, a huge amount of social media, whether it's TikTok or Twitter or Facebook, Instagram coming out of there. So there is some visibility in that way. Building on that, you know, the use of multiple kinds of media to assess the impacts of the war, we're actually hoping to use satellite media to assess the impact of the war on Ukraine's agriculture, on its Ukraine's farmland to date. Again, 70% of Ukraine's land is dedicated to agriculture. And most of Ukraine's wheat, again, that being the main agricultural export, most of Ukraine's wheat is winter wheat, which is planted in the fall and then harvested the following summer. So this year's crop has already been planted. It's already in the ground. What we could see happening is that farmers are unable to irrigate, to apply fertilizers, et cetera. And then depending how long the war rages, we could see you know, farmers unable to harvest when, this, when the summertime comes. So we're, we're hoping to use some, um, some imagery to be able to assess the extent of damage. And then when it, when, you know, when it comes to official numbers on the extent of damage and how this might affect world supplies, my eyes are on a USDA report that's issued once a month. It's called the World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimate. The most recent estimate is set to come out any day now. So I'm hitting refresh there to see how they're assessing the impacts of this war to affect Ukraine's exports. That's interesting, Kayla. What does this all mean for food security in the United States? You had remarked earlier, Andrew, that we don't rely on imports from Russia or from Ukraine to meet our own food security. Right. Um, the same way that other countries do. What we could see is a general upward pressure just because you know global markets are, are linked, general, general upward pressure on the price of U.S. cereals that could be good for producers. Of course, you know on the consumer side, that's a negative. Yeah, we don't want to pay more for our Wheaties. We <laughs> we don't, especially as a, as a, you know, food price inflation is at a multi-decade high here in the U.S. But the real impact could come from the price of fertilizer. Actually, if the price of fertilizer soars, then that means that the price of inputs for farmers increases their product will become more expensive. So that could be where we see the uptick happening. There's not as an immediate pass-through of cereal prices to ultimate consumer prices in the U.S. as there is in other countries. So don't expect an immediate uptick in our prices. I think that it could take a few months for us to see that, but it could be long-lasting. And that affects some people more than others in the U.S. And it, the, the people who are worst affected are those who are living on the margins where, you know, the price of Wheaties goes up 25 cents, you know, maybe even more. And that, that affects the amount of food. Yeah, that matters. It does. To be clear, we don't depend on Russia or Ukraine on, for fertilizer, do we? Russia supplies up to 30 percent of certain types of fertilizer globally. Globally. But certainly a reduction in the global supply of those fertilizers would, again, put upward pressure on the prices of all fertilizers to the extent that USDA Secretary Vilsack this week warned against price gouging, warned against U.S. firms taking advantage of those high prices and charging higher for, you know, for our own fertilizer. I see. I see. Well, I have to ask you, Caitlin, you know, now what? How can we respond to Russia's war in Ukraine and mitigate these effects on global food security at the same time? Is, that, is there a way that the administration and the Congress can thread that needle? I mean, ultimately speaking, the, the best way to secure food security for Ukrainians in Ukraine, for Ukrainian re refugees and around the world is to stop the conflict. 
I will say that among the drivers of acute food insecurity around the world, World Food Program has been citing the three C's recently, COVID, climate change, and conflict. And when we talk about conflict as being a driver of food insecurity, we generally mean that that's localized so that the, it's the population in the immediate locale that's affected. So you can imagine Boko Haram in Northeast Nigeria or people living in Yemen. For example, right now we see a conflict in Ukraine affecting food security for Ukrainians and for people all, all around the world, as we've talked about. So again, now what? A um, number of things that we can do. We can continue not to target Russia's agriculture sector with sanctions. I was pleased to see that that's the direction we continue to take. Again, it doesn't mean that Russia's agriculture sector won't be affected, but it means that we'll be, we'll be limiting the effects on Russia's agriculture sector. We should encourage other exporting countries from imposing export bans. What we'll see sometimes is that they'll limit their exports to protect their own food security. We don't want that to happen. We want to have as much grain staying online as possible around the world. Third thing is I think that it's important to invest in social safety net systems for countries that rely on imports to meet their food needs, like the ones we referenced already, to do what we can to keep the price of fertilizer low, again, so farmers can access that important input in low and middle income countries and in countries like the United States. Imports of humanitarian assistance, again, you know, we were already at historically high levels of need for humanitarian assistance before this war broke out. It's even more important now to fund humanitarian efforts. And then last thing is, this is a longer term response, but in recent years, Russia has been able to ramp up its own agricultural production. It had been dependent on imports um, around the turn of the century, and then all of a sudden became an exporting powerhouse, surpassing the United States in wheat exports in 2017. So really quickly increased its own agricultural productivity, it allowing Russia to extend its influence in markets in Africa and Asia. And it did that because of the effects of climate change, because climate change is giving Russia more arable land. And I think in the long term, it's really important for us to recognize and predict ways that climate change presents strategic advantages such as this to our adversaries, including Russia. Caitlin, thank you for your time today and helping us get to the truth of the matter about this complex set of global food issues. This is something we'll be watching and hope to have you back really soon to talk about it. Great. Thanks for having me, Andrew. If you enjoyed this podcast, check out our larger suite of CSIS podcasts from Into Africa, The Asia Chessboard, China Power, AIDS 2020, The Trade Guys, Smart Women, Smart Power, and more. You can listen to them all on major streaming platforms like iTunes and Spotify. Visit csis.org slash podcasts to see our full catalog 